The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I'm your host, Barry Corellis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 17 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pod Chat Talking Dances annual Halloween episode. Uh, we've got another couple days after this comes out before Halloween happens, but since I podcast every two weeks, I figured that this week we would do our Halloween edition. Exciting. Um, what has been new in my life before we get to today's topic? Uh, well, first things first, I celebrated my 36th birthday on the 14th of October. And to continue the celebrations, my husband and I took a wonderful trip out to San Francisco for a week to spend some time with a dear friend and his new beau, who we enjoyed very much while we were on San Francisco. Um, So we we were there from Wednesday until Monday night, and then we took a red-eye back, and I am now currently very jet-lagged. Yay! (laughs) Nothing like feeling like... 10 o'clock is way too early to get up in the morning and then wanting to sleep at like six o'clock in the evening. And then, you know, I just had a latte and it's like seven o'clock. So it's actually not too uncommon, but that's what you get for traveling from east to west to east. Uh, But yeah, so the trip to San Francisco was great. What else? Uh, The day after I got back, so that would be Wednesday, um, I started working as the interim ballet master for Brooklyn Ballet for their Nutcracker. So Brooklyn Ballet is, I think it's Brooklyn in Brooklyn Heights. And they, I mean, I know where it is. I've been to the building, but I think that the neighborhood is technically Brooklyn Heights. And they have a pickup company and they're doing their Nutcracker. And their regular ballet master is a former peer of mine from when I went to the School of American Ballet. And he reached out to me and asked if I could take over his duties while he is out working on a different project. So that's been very fun. So I'm helping rehearse and teaching class and making sure that things are functioning there. What else? Uh, Also, in very exciting news, I can finally mention that I am joining the staff of Youth America Grand Prix as a judge this season. So I've been involved with Youth America Grand Prix since its inception <laughs> over 20 years ago. I competed at the very in the very first season of the competition in the regionals, and the second year I competed again and made it to the finals. I was offered a scholarship through that uh, to the Royal Winnipeg Ballet, and then I uh, stepped away for many years while I was having my career, and then I returned as a coach and a choreographer for the past few years. And uh, it's just very exciting to have this like full circle moment where I I go from starting as a student in the competition to sitting behind the table, getting to help develop future talent uh, in the ballet world. It's just very, very exciting. I'm 
thrilled for that. So this year, I I will probably be at just a few competitions to sort of get a idea of how things work there. And then I'm hoping to be much more involved in their 2021 season. Also, lots of announcements this week. I also am joining the staff of a brand new convention called Rise Talent. And you should check them out on Instagram. They just launched their page and they're starting to announce all of their faculty that will be involved. I don't have any dates yet for for working with them either, but they are a convention that uh, they're a brand new convention that's going to be starting this year. And it's sort of like a pre-launch season in the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. Um, and then they'll be expanding from there. So I will keep you guys up to date on anything, any any of these co- competitions and conventions that I will be working at over the next six months so that you can listen here and get that information. Uh, other than that, I am choreographing for the professional performance workshop at Steps that ends in an industry showing. I believe it's on the 21st of November. I will be doing contemporary piece this time and it is open to the public. I can have up to 12 dancers and it is open to professionals and uh, advanced pre-professionals like burgeoning on a career. So you can reach out to me if you want to join for that. And then I'm also choreographing a piece for Broadway Dance Center's pro semester this time around. So lots going on in the choreography area of things. All right. So I have one last announcement and this is a really big announcement. So I want to make sure that you guys are all paying attention. Uh, so yeah, this is extremely exciting. We have finally acquired a venue for movement headquarters official launch. So on February 16th, that's a Sunday, we will have two shows uh, from two p at uh, two p.m. show and a six thirty p.m. show where we will be officially presenting Movement Headquarters in New York City, and we will be holding these performances at drum roll, please. <laughs> I don't know if we can make that happen, but uh, it'll be at the Alvin Ailey City Group Theater. So in in Hell's Kitchen, I believe it's. 56th Street uh, on 9th Avenue. So I'm really excited to to have our shows here. I really wanted to make sure that we had a, a nice venue for these performances. It seats about 275 people per show, and I'm hoping that we can get close to selling out for that. Tickets will be going on sale soon. I will make sure that you guys are all kept up to date as to when they are on sale. All right, cool that's that's my announcements that's a lot of announcements so much is happening this season and we are only just finishing october (laughs) okay now that i've got all that out of the way let's move on to this week's topic one of my favorite things to do this time of year is to record a halloween themed episode featuring something relating to dance that is scary or spooky last year i shared dancers fears and the year prior i discussed stage fright I was trying to think of different ways of going about this, so this year I've decided to do a more personal episode and share things that have haunted me in my career. Frightening. So I just want to like get into this. I don't want to, I feel like this doesn't need that much of a lead up. So let's get into it, people. All right. So some of these, most of these are during my career. There's like one or two that are prior to my career. So like in my career training. So yeah, uh, this is one of them, and this has actually come up recently. So uh, my mom, when I was a kid, was always very uh, straightforward when it came to the ways that the world works, and that could be anything from politics to 
sex to anything like that. Um, so when I was young, I don't know, I was like 14 years old, my mom made sure that she prepared me for potential sexual harassment or assault. <laughs> then she did this, she, she, she educated me about this when I was about 14 years old, which I think honestly is, I, I appreciate it. And I, I think that most parents are afraid to talk about these things. My mom was not. Um, so it's, it's funny because at the time I didn't think that it would really be relevant, but I remember her saying, she sat me down she said, look, you are an attractive, an attractive kid and you're going to grow up to be an attractive adult and you're going to have to deal with people coming at you and they will, there will probably be both men and women. And I didn't even know that I was gay at the time. Um, <laughs> so I was like, what? She's like, yes, Barry, men and women. Um, so yeah, she gave me many lectures about how to make sure that I didn't get involved in any situations that I didn't want to be involved in with adults and people older than me. Um, and then whenever I, this is so embarrassing. I can't believe I'm sharing this. Um, whenever I would be involved with an adult, um, like say for instance, when I first worked with, Bob Rizzo, uh, who found me at a workshop around the age, I was like 14 or 15 in the suburbs of Philadelphia. He started bringing me up to New York to sort of teach me the ways of the New York dance scene. And I started touring with him. Um, I started touring with him as, as his demonstrator at workshops. Uh, so my mom actually sat him down adult to adult in front of me and said, if you ever lay a hand on my child, I will kill you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, helpful, but also crazy and embarrassing. Um, so I, I'm obviously very appreciative to my mom for, for watching out for me, but it, it always kind of haunted me as a kid that if somebody wanted to uh, help me out in my career, that I knew that my mom was going to give them the talk. <laughs> I'm not talking about that talk, but the other talk. Um, and honestly, what she said pr was proven to be true eventually down the line. And I've talked about this in a previous episode where I was sexually harassed by a ballet master in a major company to the point where I was offered a job with the company and I turned it down because I was afraid that if I had arrived in real life to that company that I would suffer or if I would have roles taken away from me or different things happen if I didn't put out. So, um, yeah, that's the first haunting of my career. Uh, what else? Uh, this one always haunted me. This one haunted me for years. Uh, the, when I went to the Kirov Academy of Ballet, I was in, it was a very weird year. They had very few boys. Um, there were two levels for the, for the guys, uh, and I was in the advanced level, and there were only four of us in the advanced level. It was me, it was my friend who danced with Ballet International and Ballet Arizona and Kansas City Ballet. It was another uh, dancer who I believe ended up in Turkey, and then Matthew Golding, who is, uh, danced with Royal Ballet and Dutch National and is currently an international guest artist. But yeah, so my class, like we, if you look at the picture in my yearbook from the Kirov Academy of Ballet, you could tell like I was not like the other dancers. All the other three guys in our class had like crazy long legs, really nice feet, high extension. Um, and then there was me. So 
<laughs> I remember one time walking in, I don't remember what time of the year it was, but I remember walking into I, one of the administrator's offices. And this, this, this administrator was not a dancer. They had just worked at this organization for many years. And somehow we got into the conversation about auditions and what companies I was thinking of auditioning for. And mid-conversation, this administrator cut me off. And I, I mean, I really like this person. It's, it, this was probably why it was kind of painful. But this administrator cut me off and said, you know, I don't think you should consider those companies. I think that you'd be a really good fit for Momix. Um, and I was heartbroken because I wanted to be a ballet dancer and I was going to this ballet school and she was telling me that she thought that I'd be better as a modern dancer. And this isn't a hit against Momex. I have friends that have danced for Momex and that company is incredible. But my eyes were set on ballet companies. So that stuck with me for quite a while. Um, even actually before that, I had people tell me, oh, you're a musical theater dancer, a modern dancer, you should not do ballet. And I proved them wrong. <laughs> But yeah, so I was so thrilled to go into her office later that year when the director of Colorado Ballet had watched class and uh, came up to me and, and offered me a contract to join Colorado Ballet in the core, not even an apprentice, but straight to the core. Um, so I feel, though, that that comment has always stayed with me and I, I, the comments that came before that. And for me, like I always kind of felt like I had somehow broken into the ballet world uh, in a place that I shouldn't have been. Like, it, like the ballet world wasn't my place to be, and I had was like a fraud that somehow snuck in. Um, I don't feel that way anymore. Uh, obviously, I've worked my butt off to get where I am, but uh, that haunted me for many years, just being told. It's funny because I think she was trying to help me out and be nice, um, and it's, it's just ironic, not ironic, that's not the right word, but it's, it's interesting to see how some people feel like they're doing you a favor and instead they could be like hurting you in, in a way. So that was one of those, oh, this is a good one. I stuck another one. I can't believe I'm sharing. This one still haunts me today. Um, so I told you a little bit about my mom earlier, um, She's a pretty straightforward lady. She still is. Uh, she's still here. Um, but yeah, my my mom, she really wanted to like help me succeed in dance. She did everything she could. And there was a period of time where I went from wearing like loose like pants or jazz pants um, with underwear to having to wear a dance belt and tights or tighter pants. And I, I've explained that conversation where my the director of my school pulled me into her office and showed me how to wear a dance belt. And as soon as we walked out, my mom asked if she had given me the thong, and I freaked out. Um, but yeah, so once I, once I finally got over that hump of like wearing a dance belt, I was honestly perfectly fine with it. But I think that my mom still had it in her mind that I wasn't comfortable and that maybe this could be the thing that would push me away from dance. So this is so awkward to share publicly, but, uh, two things. My mom would constantly tell me to adjust myself and make sure that I was pointing upwards. So, um, that was one thing. And then the other thing, 
<laughs> was that she would make sure to compliment how it looked. Uh, not This wasn't like a constant thing, but every once in a while, <laughs> she would compliment my junk. And, I, and the thing is, I don't even think she was looking. I think she was just trying to make me feel like proud and comfortable, like being more exposed in public, maybe because she was uncomfortable by it. Um, but I was like, I was fine with it. <laughs> At that point, but I can't tell you how many comments I, I got from my mom about my junk and my dance belt. Um, so I'm just going to leave that at that. And I think that's <laughs> I'm very much haunted by that today. Just like if if I'm not looking perfect, I, I I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Awkward. Sorry. I guess this one might be a PG-31. 13. I can speak, can't I? All right. What else? Uh, body issues. I feel like every dancer is haunted, haunted by body issues. During my career, I my feet weren't what I wanted them to be. And slowly over time, I was able to change them. My right foot's pretty good. My left foot still has some work to do, but it's, it's more than acceptable. Um, but that was something that haunted me for years. I remember when I uh, was auditioning for companies, it was right when computers started to get a little bit more advanced and I took my audition photo shot. Sorry, head, uh, no, it was a Tandu Alasakan. I took a, like a traditional dance shot that you had to give at a lot of auditions and I used Photoshop to shave the area around my foot and ankle to make it look thinner and then also like added a bump at the, the top of my foot so that my foot looked really flexible. And then I also added hyperextension to the back of my knee. Um, so uh, <laughs> that tells you how much I was haunted by my feet at the time. Um, but yeah, now I'm pretty happy with my feet. Uh, and like I just said, I had, my lack of hyperextension was another thing. I remember I used to stand in class at, uh, at the School of American Ballet. And while the teachers were giving combinations, I would stand with one leg, sh- both of my legs straight and one leg like behind the other facing sideways and I would jam my knees back trying to get my knees to bend the wrong way. Um, so yeah, don't do that. That's not very good for your knees, but that's something that I did that my hyper, my lack of hyperextension haunted me, but it also goes to show if you're not hyperextended, you can have a career. Um, what else? I had average extension and weakness in my lower back. That was another one. I was always afraid that I was going to end up injured because of my lower back. I figured it out, uh, for quite some time, but it became a lot harder to take care of that when I was uh, freelancing because access to health care became more difficult. And I'll probably talk about that in a little bit. Um, oh, yeah, I'm going to talk about that right now. Look at my notes right there. I'm on top of myself. So the challenges of uh, taking care of myself during my freelance career and post-career have really haunted me. Um, when you're dancing for a major company, you have access to fantastic doctors, you have physical therapy on site, massage on site. Um, when I was at Pacific Northwest Ballet, we were given 600 something dollars a year to use towards uh, self-care. And that could be anything from acupuncture to massages to uh, gym memberships and gyrotonics and Pilates and all that kind of stuff. And then I, I left the company. I didn't have that. I was completely on my own. Um, and then yeah, workers' comp was a big thing too. When you're dancing for a company, workers' compensation, it takes care of you when you get injured. So it'll pay your some of your your salary. I think it's like sixty percent of your salary. It'll cover your uh, medical 
costs, whether it's just seeing a doctor or having surgery. Um, you can also pay some of your transportation if you have to take a cab to go to the doctor, things like that. Um, I don't have that anymore. So not having easy access to healthcare uh, without incurring major financial pain, it still haunts me today. My body has actually really been hurting lately and I can't afford to take care of myself. So I'm trying to find different ways to get access to healthcare, like Harkness Center for Dance Injuries. They have financial aid, and I'm waiting to see if that gets approved. Um, but yeah, it, it's like something happens, and if usually I can take care of one thing, but if there's more than one, I can't. Like I cracked two crowns in my mouth the first week of our preparations for our in-studio showing uh, for Movement Headquarters. That cost me over $3,000. Um and then now I'm having pain in my shoulder and my leg and I there's I can't afford to go because I'm paying off this major debt because of my this just bad luck with my mouth. So yeah, body issues and being able to take care of oneself definitely haunts me. I, I'm curious because so many dancers get taken care of while they're dancing with companies, but they don't get any assistance afterwards. And usually as we get older, that's when we need the help. So I'll be curious to see if over the years, unions will start to add some type of health benefit for dancers after they leave companies or retire from companies because we get taken care of while we're with them. And then everything that we have left over from when we were with them is our own responsibility. That's the way the world works. What else? Oh, this always haunted me and it's so dumb, but it was something that was so important to me and I never got to do it. So uh, when I danced the Pacific Northwest Ballet, I got to do everything from major leading roles to uh, small apprentice core type roles. Um, but I never got to bow in front of the curtain for page bow. Um, so at the end of a ballet, they will do the, the, the bows uh, and they will usually the the core will will bow first and the soloists will bow and then the principals will bow. Um, and this isn't necessarily based off of rank, it's based off of casting and, and that, that production. Um, so I, I got to do some wonderful roles like Puck in A Midsummer's Night Dream, Mercutio uh, in Romeo and Juliet. I did a bunch of stuff in Nutcracker. But typically the only people that would get to do a page bow would be like, and Romeo and Juliet would be Romeo and Juliet in... Uh, other productions, it would be like the main pas de deux, uh, couple, things like that. So I never got to have a page bow. And then when I left the company, uh, there were seven dancers that left. And because of that, uh, where other core dancers had gotten to leave the company with uh, bigger roles, I shared a the, the final movement of Rubies with another core dancer that was leaving. So we... Uh, did the the third movement and then we bowed and then they brought the current down. So I was hoping that that would be my moment. I never got a page bow while I was at Pacific Northwest Ballet. And that always haunted me. I remember how important that was to me at the time. And I haven't thought about it for years. And I, it's like one of those things I just wanted to know like how it felt because I, I put in the work and I did the roles. It's just I never did the right role to do it. Like even in Concerto Barocco, um, which is uh, it's, two women and a man that are the leading dancers and then eight core women. They let the eight core women bow because they're so integral to that piece. They don't really leave the stage. Um, and I, I never had a moment like that. So yeah, that's haunting. What else? Uh, every ounce of fat on my body since retiring haunts me. 
<laughs> which this isn't realistic. Um, I am not in any way overweight. I am pretty fit. Um, obviously it goes up and down depending on how much I'm getting to dance because a lot of times I'm in front of the studio and I don't get to get, uh, in the class every day. Um, but yeah, it's not realistic to have like an athlete's perfect body your entire life. And I realized that not that it doesn't haunt me though. Um, if you want to hear more about this, you can actually check out uh, an episode I did on body dysmorphia. Uh, I think it was about a year or two years ago. So you can go back to previous episodes and find that. And I talk about how, um, my view of how I look is very skewed because you have this idea of like what you looked like when you were dancing seven and a half hours a day. And then when you retire, um, chances are you're not going to be physically active seven and a half hours a day. Um, so it's not realistic to imagine your body at 60 looking like it did at 20. Um, I think that's, that haunts every dancer, uh, no matter who you are, what else has haunted me? In my dance career, seeing other dancers get injured. Surprisingly, never my own injuries. Like, my, my own injuries have never haunted me. Of course, I mean, yeah, they haunt me in different ways. Um, but I'm talking, like, emotionally. Uh, the, the ones that have really stayed with me were the ones that I've seen with my own eyes. Um, you can't really usually see your own with your own eyes. Uh, I remember when I was in our placement class for American Ballet Theater's Orange County program, their summer program. Um, and the dancer's Achilles snapped and that was crazy. Like it sounded like a gunshot went off and one of the dancers fell and everybody looked at her and they thought maybe one of the floorboards broke and she had no idea what was going on. She stood up to try to continue the petite allegro combination. Um, and then she obviously couldn't stand on her foot and she fell down again. That was, that was rough. Remember one of the teachers breaking down afterwards in tears, um, what else? I've seen dancers break their feet. There was a crazy failed partner maneuver that I saw with a dancer um, in rehearsal at Pacific Northwest Ballet where I'm going to call it a starfish, but it's kind of like the lift in Giselle where the man grabs or, or lifts the woman up above his head by, at her on her hip bones. Um, this one was the same, except instead of having her feet and head up in the air, she was sort of splayed out like a starfish. It was in a Twilight Thart ballet and something went wrong and she slipped through her partner's hands behind his head and just pancake fell onto the floor. Um, she was out for a solid 30 seconds and then woke up and she was fine, shockingly. Um, but yeah, that sprained ankles. I remember Patricia Barker uh, getting a concussion after a crazy day on stage where like we had a brand new Marley floor for the stage at Pacific Northwest Ballet and something was faulty with it. And like seven dancers went down and they didn't cancel rehearsal until Patricia Barker went down. They said the only reason that she didn't crack her skull was because she had so much hair that her bun was so thick it protected her head. Yep. That's real people. Um, <laughs> I mean, Balanchine ballerinas are known for their beautiful, luxurious long hair, um, but it's also apparently like a helmet. Um, <laughs> yeah, that. What else? Um, oh, this has always haunted me. So the first time that we ever had a stage rehearsal at Houston Ballet, this is my very first uh, season as a professional dancer, um, we were rehearsing Sleeping Beauty. And I was an understudy for one of the monsters in the first act that uh, helps Carabas, you know, create chaos. 
So I, the, the monster that I was understudying had to get the spindle to give the carabas so she could present it. So a really important job. If you don't do that, it kind of messes with the entire plot of the story. So I was like, whatever happens, you have to get the spindle. Um, and since, so, so what happened was one of the dancers was sick, uh, the first stage rehearsal and I had to go in for the first time as one of the monsters. So I was wearing the monster head, which you could barely see out of, and I knew where the spindle was, and I was afraid I was going to miss it. So when the music came for me to run off stage and go get the spindle, I ran as fast as I could off the first wing, um, because I knew exactly where I was going. Um, But I couldn't see where I was going, and I ended up like body-checking Stanton Welch. I don't know if he fell on the floor or not. I didn't even know it was him at first. Um... What happened was Stanton knew that I was doing this for the first time, so he was trying to be nice, and he went and got the spindle for me. Um, (laughs) And in my excitement to go get this prop, I didn't see him, I didn't see the spindle, and then I went to the table, and the spindle wasn't there, and this very (laughs) out-of-it person hands me the spindle and I run back on and as soon as I handed the spindle one the monster was like oh my god you body slammed Stanton so that was a nice introduction to my my first season with my new boss um yeah that was that was very (laughs) very bad and I I felt I was always nervous that that sort of like set the tone for the rest of the season for me all right I have a couple more haunting uh, haunting episodes for my career um the emotional abuse that I received from my teacher while I was at the Kirov was kind of crazy. I like how the alarms, you can probably hear like fire trucks in the background. I feel like it's very appropriate and o- ominous for this. Um, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't drown me out. But yeah, so the emotional abuse from my teacher at the Kirov Academy of Ballet was off the, the hook, not in a good way. So Russian teachers are very known for their methods of (laughs) oh my god it's so loud stop please it's passing by okay sorry back on track so russian teachers are very known for uh finding unique methods to inspire their students and typically it's not inspiration it's complete and total fear and i know i'm generalizing and a lot has changed over the last 20 years or so but this was back in like 2001 um, so almost 20 years ago, my teacher, he, uh, I'm pretty sure he had undiagnosed whooping cough that he had caught in China. Um, and so what would happen is <laughs> class would like, we, okay. We had class from two thirty to seven and most days our teacher was allowed to do whatever he wanted from two thirty to seven. So sometimes like we would do technique class from two thirty until like six o'clock. It was, it was, yeah, it was very intense, but what our teacher would do is, to make a point, he would correct us, have us do it again. If we didn't do it right, he would correct us, have us do it again. If we didn't do it right, he'd start to get a little upset. Correct us, do it again. Sometimes we didn't even understand what was well, like what the correction was because he wasn't showing us, he was just telling us. Um, so I, well, not me, but again, it was only four of us. So <laughs> there weren't a lot of people to take, take the brunt of this. What would happen is by like the third or fourth time that we would get a correction, he would get really, really worked up and he knew, I swear he knew that if he worked himself up, he would start to cough. And because it was whooping cough, he couldn't control it. So it would turn into this really crazy, loud, nasty cough. And it would go on for like one or two minutes, depending on how excited he got. 
Um, so he'd be like, ah, uh, 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 and then finally he would calm himself down, catch his breath and stop coughing. And he would go, this was so common. He would go, you see boys, you don't try and you affect my health. <laughs> so we were afraid to mess up. Like it's impossible not to make a mistake in ballet. Um, and that's on the daily, like you are going to mess up every day. Um, so this happened practically every day for an entire year. Um, we were so, so, so afraid to make mistakes. Um, it was overwhelming and that definitely stayed with me for years and years and years. Uh, I remember, we would do things that were just so hard in, in this Vaganova style training um, that we thought that we were awful dancers. And then all, we all ended up, not all of us, but most of us ended up dancing for really nice companies. And it's crazy how you can be like second or third year core and think that you're an awful dancer, like with a major company like Pacific Northwest Ballet, and you're messing something up and you're telling yourself, I am awful. I don't know how I ever got this job. That's completely the opposite. If you can get into a company like that, you must be an incredible dancer. Even if you don't progress up through the, the ranks, all dancers in those companies are quite incredible. Um, but there are many dancers that have gone through this training that think that they're awful. Um, so there was definitely a progression uh, that I had to go through to come through that. Um, it definitely haunted me for many, many, many years. All right, I got a few more. Twyla Tharp's Nine Sinatra Songs. <laughs> That ballet haunted me for my entire career because if you know those ballet, I called it my demon ballet. Um, this ballet I was always cast in and I never performed it. Uh, the first time that I was cast in it, I got mono and I had to pull out. Um, the second time I got cast in it, they cast me in a different. So it's it's nice, not your songs. I think there's like seven, I think there's seven couples in it. Um, so there's like an opening and an ending and then there's seven duets or pas de deux, whatever you want to call them. So yeah, the first time I did, I was supposed to do one. The second time they changed me to a different duet and I ended up with a back injury. The third time I ended up with an ankle injury. Um, <laughs> it was just never meant to be. And I swore that if that, if I was still with the company and that ballet ever came back, I was just going to ask not to be cast in it because something always went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't like a dream ballet for me. I had danced Twilight Tharp works uh, outside of this. Um, it just seemed like this was one that was not meant for me to do. I'm not a big Sinatra fan, so maybe the music like created a vibration in my body that just made it really uh, not able to dance. But yeah, Nine Sinatra songs by Twilight Tharp, my demon ballet. It was just not meant to be. <laughs> what else is haunting in my career. Nutcracker seasons. Yay. It's coming up. Yeah. So Nutcracker when I was a kid was so exciting, but as my career went on, it be, it haunted me more and more. And there's no way to get away from the, the ghost of the Nutcracker. It was always either just finishing or in the middle of it or about to come back. It's one thing that you can count on from year to year. So yeah, we did too many shows at PNB, and I was usually cast in most of the shows. Uh, once I started freelancing, I would usually do four weekends of it over the Nutcracker season, and I would always be hired by different schools and companies to do different versions of the Grand Pas de Deux. Um, 
with different dancers. So I would do a different version every weekend. And I would always end Nutcracker season so sick just because I had traveled so much, danced with so many kids, uh, was learning different versions, and it was just nuts. Uh, there were two very specific ones that were that were very haunting for me. One uh, was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, we performed at a mega church, and people were judging me left and right. Somebody asked me, they, they pulled me aside, and they were like, so uh, what college did you go to? And I was like, oh, I mean, I got my AA through a, a community college, and I went to Seattle Central, uh, sorry, Seattle, Seattle uh, University, that's it. Uh, but <laughs> I was like, I, I don't have my bachelor's. And she goes, oh, um, well, what church do you go to? And I was like, I'm Jewish. And she was like, oh, I was just waiting for her to ask me if, if I was married, because if I told her that I was with a man, her mind might have exploded. So she just peaced out. Um, I was also like, I remember getting ready for, uh, the show and putting my makeup on. I was in the, the men's bathroom and a, a mother knocked on the door and asked me if I could be quiet while they prayed. I was like way away from the stage. Um, it was just, they were the, they wanted me to do a pot to do with the student that was not very strong. And they wanted me to do a helicopter lift with her. And it ended up in, into a disagreement where I just put my foot down and said, I refuse to do a helicopter lift. A helicopter lift is a very dangerous partnering maneuver where, uh, you push the dan the woman up into a, uh, press lift a pressage, and then you throw her leg over your head and catch her in a fish. Um, it can be very dangerous, especially if it's with a student who has no idea what they're doing. So, um, that one haunted me, but the one that haunted me the most, and honestly, this one, this was one of the, the gigs that kind of like sealed my burnout fate as I progressed into my final year as a, a freelance artist. Um, I did a Nutcracker in West Virginia and I felt like I was really helping out the community. They had gotten a grant to bring in a uh, Cavalier for their Nutcracker, but this was just a mess, a mess, a mess of a, a gig. They First off, they wanted me to use balancing choreography, and I told them that that was not going to fly because it's copyrighted. Um, then they told me that I was dancing with one of the teachers, um, and when I talked to the teacher, she's like, I've never been partnered before, and I've never danced, on, I've never performed on point before, but we're going to do this on point, and she wants to do the balancing version. It was just a mess. Um all of the teachers did the leading roles and all the students did the core roles in this production. Um, they were supposed to put me in a, in, sorry, I was supposed to have a host family and the host family decided the night before I got there that they wanted to put me in a hotel instead. Um, but the funny thing is that they didn't put me in a hotel. They put me in a motel. And when I arrived in the motel, um, it was a prostitution motel. Um, there were also families living there. And I, I didn't want to be dramatic. So I was like, hey, I'm going to spend one night here. And if it's not good, I'm not going to stay. But I checked the sheets and there were like, you know, dirty stains on the sheets. There were cigarette burns in the sheets. There was like hair on the walls. Um, Luckily, the internet worked, and I checked the I checked reviews, and I, the reason I didn't get to check them beforehand was because they changed it the night before I arrived, um, and I was doing Nutcracker, so it was I was too busy. But yeah, so um, I checked online for reviews, and I remember this very specifically. There were forty two reviews. Forty of them told you which room uh, to. No, no, no. Wait, wait. 40 of them told you to go to the front desk and to ask for, I believe it was Earl, um, and he would tell you how to find a prostitute. And then the other two reviews told you which room number to knock on to buy meth. 
Um, <laughs> I cannot make this stuff up, people. Um, so like my heart was pounding out of my chest and, and I sent a text to the person who I was supposed to stay at their house who put me in the motel and I was like, I cannot stay here. Like this is not safe. Um, and they were so apologetic. They were like, we'll put you in a different hotel. We are so embarrassed. Our friends own this motel. <laughs> So then they told me that we would rehearse and they'd find another hotel for me. And they dropped me off. It was in another motel on the side of a, a freeway. I had nowhere to walk. The clo- There was only a McDonald's across the street. There was a strip club down the street. And like people were knocking on my doors. The cops showed up and arrested the people next to me um, one night. It was just, it was scary. Uh, and then to, to like, to top it all off, uh, <laughs> the stage was so slippery. I couldn't move faster than a slow walk. Um, we bowed to a Christmas wrap. Uh, it was just a complete and total mess. And that, I mean, that, I would say, I mean, that year freelancing was nuts. There were so many things that happened, but that was definitely one of the ones where I was like, I cannot do this anymore. Um, so yeah, that definitely helped me. I haven't revisited that memory in a very long time. And I don't know if I've ever actually like publicly spoken about it. I have had some crazy experiences. I need to write these things uh, into a book because I want to have them down before I forget. And I, these are just nuts. Yeah. Okay. My last one, Oakland ballet. I have talked about this a lot. Um, and it's actually been very, it's been in my mind a lot recently. Um, I have, I have, I do have an episode ex- discussing my Oakland ballet experience and you can find that in my previous episodes. Uh, I'm not going to rehash the entire thing. Um, but this haunted me for years. It took me about four years. So this was 2014 May. It is 2019 October. Um, so what is that? Five and a half years. It took me about four years to stop crying when I told the story. I think I even got a little emotional when I shared it in my podcast, talking to, in my into my recorder by myself. Um, so yeah, the quick of the story was I was brought out to dance with Oakland Ballet and my housing fell through and the director didn't do anything to try to help me find new housing. So I essentially ended up homeless in San Francisco and Oakland and having to move every like couple of days with 90 pounds of baggage in my book bag and sleeping on strangers' couches and uh, just so many things were wrong. Um, like Even... <laughs> Like, so, okay, this is my very last gig. Uh, and I have been, I still to this day, I'm haunted by the fact that this was my last major gig to the point that I honestly actually consider Romeo and Juliet when I did, uh, with, I danced with Fort Wayne Ballet. They brought me out to perform as Romeo. I actually consider that my last major gig since I never made it to the finish line with Oakland Ballet. Um, we did have a couple little performances that we did at the Oakland Art Murmur, which is their like first Friday art walk. But, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to get sidetracked for a second. That that Oakland art walk murmur thing. Um, so we were doing four ballets when I was dancing with Oakland Ballet. And I was in, I believe, three? Was I in all four? I think I was in three of the four ballets. I might have been in all four. I can't remember. Um, but one of the pieces that we did, that we were collaborating with turfers. It's uh, taking up room on the floor. This is like Oakland's uh, street style. Like it was developed in Oakland, made famous in Oakland. 
Um, so we were collaborating with two turfers and uh, I'm not going to get into too many details, but the director had let the turfers do a lot of the choreography and he had the women doing like just cheesy, uh, cheesy things on point, like fuete turns and like split jumps and soda shahs and cheerleader type stuff. Like it really was, there was no art in what the women were doing whatsoever. There was art in what the turfers were doing, but so the, the director had the women doing this, but he had the, the guys, the four guys, we were actually just like acting as backup dancers for the turfers. So we were wearing sneakers and we were trying to do the moves that they were doing. Um, and we were bad because we had only been working on it for like, four weeks at this point and it's not like we could master turfing so instead of like finding a way to meet in the middle we were just copying what they were doing very badly and my husband he keeps he has a photo because he happened to be in town uh for the art murmur he has a photo of us performing in an art gallery um i'm wearing like a am i wearing a hat no i'm not wearing a hat but i'm doing this like awful hip-hop move i had tears in my eyes i was so embarrassed and this is like the last performance i technically had as a freelance artist i did a few nutcracker gigs after that um but it was mostly with my home studio that i was raised at but i was mortified i was embarrassed i was like i can't believe i've gone from dancing with pacific northwest ballet um and then doing some really great stuff freelancing to this um so yeah that haunted me for years and i I always said that I it was disappointing that I didn't get to have like a final retirement performance, especially like not knowing like like not like not knowing when my career was going to end and not being like, okay, well I got injured, I'm gonna take six months and I'm gonna have my final performance. It was like that was the end. And it was this awful, awful gig that was traumatizing to me. And the last time I performed in front of an audience was this embarrassing thing completely out of my style. Uh, of of training face to face with people walking around us at, in an art gallery like it, there was no distance between us and the audience it was just tragic in so many ways so that was very haunting for me but i i don't want to end this episode on a negative note and i obviously save this conversation for the end of this episode but uh as you all know from the beginning of the episode i just got back from san francisco um, I have not been back to the Bay Area since this Oakland Ballet fiasco happened. Um, and I just wanted to to end this on a positive note because it was it was so healing to be back in, in San Francisco the past week. Um, we got to stay with, with a very close friend of mine who just moved a, a, about a year ago um, from New York to San Francisco. And we stayed in Hayes Valley, which is a really nice area. He has a really nice home. Um, and he walked, welcomed us and made us very comfortable. And, um, we spent, we spent some time with him, but we also spent, my husband and I spent some time, a lot of time by ourselves. And, uh, it was amazing because I, as I was walking around the city, I was having memories of so many things that happened in different areas. Like we walked by the bus stop where, uh, on my way to that bus stop, a homeless man asked me if I was homeless. Um, we went through the neighborhoods of, of places that I stayed at people that I, I don't even really know today, but I still stayed on their, their couches. Um, we, I, we went to parks where I remember having very specific emotions or to areas and neighborhoods and stores and restaurants where those were my days of solace where I wasn't rehearsing. And instead of, because I didn't feel like I, 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 
didn't feel comfortable staying in these people's homes instead of taking my days off and sitting like on the couch watching TV, I went for walks and it's not like I went for like an hour long walk. Like I would wake up at like 10 AM. I would leave by 11 AM and I wouldn't come home until 8 PM because I didn't feel comfortable. So I spent most of my days when I wasn't rehearsing with Oakland ballet or sleeping on somebody's couch, I spent most of my days walking the city. Like I know the city really, really well. Um, so it was surprising how healing it was to have this trip the past week and also to make some new memories and see some new places. Cause I, I've seen a lot of the San Francisco Bay area, Oakland area, and all the way up to Walnut Creek. Um, but my husband, he, he treated us to me and, and our, our friend, uh, a trip to Muir Woods. We went and saw parts of the Redwood Forest. Uh, the last day, my husband and I walked from Hayes Valley all the way up to the top of Twin Peaks got a gorgeous final sunset view of, of San Francisco before we got on our red eye flight to head home. So um, I've, I've, I will probably always be haunted by my experience at Oakland Ballet. I learned so much about myself during that period of time. And it has been such a major part of my, my experience, uh, especially because it was my last my last performance gig and it essentially forced me into my uh forced me to deal with my burnout and was integral in me transitioning into this side of my career um i'm not i've I've said this before for other things i'm not one of those people that is grateful for like negative experiences that i've had in my life but i did learn so much about myself and how I handle things and uh, when to stand up for yourself, when to say no, when to step away, uh, even if it can be painful. Uh, I learned so much about myself during that time and uh, it, it'll always be with me, but I'm also glad that I have now started to have the opportunity or I'm starting to have opportunities to uh, revisit that area and create new memories so that I'm not just looking back at those negative memories that I have from my time in the San Francisco Bay area. So, oh, that was such a good way to end this episode. <laughs> it makes me feel so warm. No, seriously, it's the, the past week was just so great to be back out in the city that I love and to, to have new memories there. So I'm very grateful for that. So yeah, I think that's a good note to end this this episode on. I hope that you have a, a wonderful Halloween uh, and that you dress up and you have fun and you dance and eat candy and be merry and all that, all those shenanigans. Um, it, I'd love to hear from you guys. If you have had any haunting career experiences that you'd like to share with me, please feel free to reach out to me on my different social media or on my email and I'll give you that information in a second. All right. That is it for this week. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pata Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorlis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorlis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. 
Also be sure to check out my blogs. I have the Life of a Freelance Dancer. You can find that at lifeofafreelancedancer.blogspot.com. And I wrote on that blog for five years about working as a freelance artist and independent contractor. And I also have Dancing Off Stage, and that can be found at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. And on there, I wrote about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have a YouTube channel. You can find that at B Carolus by going to youtube.com, going to the search bar, typing in B Carolus, and you can find my choreography on that channel there. Thanks for listening to Pod of Chat. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.